You're listening to Design Atlas Season 3. Science fiction and science innovation have been intertwined throughout history through an infinite loop. It has inspired both creators and innovators alike to take science reality just a few steps into the future. To get a better understanding about this, we needed to bring in a creator who sits in the center of these two worlds of both science fiction and science reality. We design all the fictional technologies, interfaces, and holograms that you see in blockbuster films, uh, superhero movies, science fiction films. If you're watching a movie and there's a character that interacts with an advanced technology, uh, there's a good chance that uh, we may have been the people that uh, conceptualized it, designed it, animated it, and incorporated it into the film as a visual effect. It's- That's John Lepore, the former principal creative director of Perception, an Emmy-nominated design lab located in the metropolitan area of New York City. Pioneering the visionary process of science fiction thinking to architect their future, they divide their time equally between the parallel worlds of science fiction, working with trailblazing filmmakers, and science fact, collaborating with the world's most innovative technology brands. Before we get into what Perception does today, let's take a quick look at where they started and how a broadcast media company found themselves on the intersection of science fiction and science fact. Perception was founded by Danny Gonzalez and Jeremy Lasky in 2001 after they left RGA to begin their own adventure into the world of broadcast motion animation with the latest cutting-edge softwares that allowed creators to use a desktop computer to animate. John joined Perception around 2006 as a freelance motion graphics artist. Together, they created a variety of broadcast media motion graphics, from NBA Finals replay animations to charts and graphs on ABC News' election coverage, until they were given an opportunity to play a small part in what was to become one of the world's largest movie franchises. We had an awesome opportunity in, I believe it was 2009, to contribute to the film Iron Man 2. Um, We had a connection uh, who we had done some smaller work with who basically pulled us in as like a, hey, we've got an emergency. Somebody else was making some stuff for a thing that needs to be projected on set. Uh, And we figured you guys have a ton of hustle. You you move really quickly. You you, uh, design efficiently and effectively. Could you help us out with this challenge? And we put some stuff together. It was for uh, the main character, Tony Stark, is giving a sort of like keynote presentation, if you will. And so we made just some simple graphics that appear behind him on this huge uh, stage. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back to the Stark Expo. And now, making a special guest appearance from the great beyond to tell you what it's all about. Please welcome my father, Howard. Everything is achievable through technology. We're we're working on this piece and we're pitching them different ideas and concepts. And while we were doing that, 
we could literally just barely hear in the back of the room somebody on the conference call on their end say like, oh, that idea looks kind of like Tony's glass phone. And we all were like, what did you say glass phone? What's that all about? Don't worry about it. We need these we need these Stark Expo graphics. Turn those out for us. So we we made our Stark Expo graphics and I think over the weekend after we had delivered those, we went to Home Depot. We had a piece of glass cut with rounded edges to the approximate size of whatever generation of iPhone we were at at that point in time. And we made a fun little proof of concept video where we designed a totally fictional phone interface that animated around and we had someone interacting with it and doing all these gestures and performing all these functions and just trying to like over the course of like 40 seconds show off like a whole bunch of different functions and you could use it for surveillance you could use it to bring up your memos you could send a snarky uh text message to your to your buddy roadie and like all these different things and, and then at the end it became uh holographic and a, a hologram stood up off the surface of the phone and so we we sent that over to them and we were like hey you know we heard just you know if you ever needed someone to help you out with graphics for your for this glass phone that may or may not be in the movie um let us know um we didn't hear anything from them for for months and we started wondering like oh did did we did we like offend them was that like a huge insult to them uh but the the reality of it was they were deep in the trenches uh doing the production of actually shooting the film and when they turned the corner from uh from live production to post-production where often uh, they start figuring out how all the visual effects will be implemented into the movie. We got a call from them and they said, well, would you guys like to design and animate Tony's glass phone? And we're like, hell yeah. And they were like, would you also have time to do uh, a glass coffee table and glass windows in his apartment and a bunch of screens in the courtroom and all this and like there was, and it uh, pr pretty quickly turned into us delivering for our first time ever working on a major feature film, delivering, I think, 125 visual effects shots. And uh, we we had a blast with it. We, we took it way too seriously. Uh, we would get on the phone with John Favreau, the director of the film, and be like explaining to him like deep nuances of the operating system. And he, and he would just kind of be like, that's nice and all, but like, you know, just make sure that like, we can the audience can tell what's going on and that it feels slick and and that it matches uh tony's personality and and everything and so uh that that was our our first sort of rodeo in that space let's imagine you're a designer on this epic team at perception you've been tasked with creating some sort of future technology for an upcoming marvel film and you need to brainstorm think creatively, and conceptualize possible solutions to the character's problem. Where would you start? Insert science fiction thinking, a methodology where you search for alternative futures and perceive the world through a lens of what is possible instead of what already exists. It's a way of mining wildest imaginings of the future to analyze our present-day reality. We we also we we love working with Marvel because they they take this stuff as as seriously as as we do and they geek out on it as much as we do and there's there's times where we've worked with other film studios or different uh, teams who 
they come to us and they're just they're sort of like, hey, we just need our, our movie takes place in the future. So we just need you guys to make a bunch of glowing blue shit that'll just float in the air and let the audience know that the that this is the future. And when we start talking to them about like, well, we were thinking that the interactions could be set up like this and that in this world, you know, things are unusually organic across the entire interface because people have AI assisted interactions and, you know, and whatever. And they and they'll just be like, you guys are overthinking it way too much. We told you, we just need glowing blue shit. And those and those projects, it, it tends to not really go that well. And, you know, uh, it, they, they're not our, our best collaborations. But the team at Marvel, um, they always have a, a big appetite for finding ways that uh, we can make these these elements uh, richer, deeper, and, and elevate them from just being this sort of visual effect that appears on screen or lets you know that, you know, where characters are on the map or that the doors are locked or, or whatever it is, um, but actually become more of like a world building uh, device. And, you know, uh, particularly the work that we did for uh, Black Panther and developing the tech of Wakanda, you know, for us was a was an awesome way to uh, push that in film in a way where we we hope in our in our wildest dreams that audiences, when they see that they're inspired and and you know it, it just spurs their imaginations about how how technology will work in the future when we were working on iron man 2 and making tony's glass phone they they on set they handed tony the prop robert downey jr is amazing at improvising and he just you know he's just doing random gestures and we are we're months later we're handed that footage and trying to decode those gestures and actually build and even shape and lay out an interface so that like maybe there should be a dial element that appears here and then we could have a drawer that pulls out some extra controls or, or whatnot to align with this. Um, so that's that's one way of doing it where we we come in in the end and we're, we're reverse engineering it. Um, for something like Black Panther, they knew right from the onset that the technology was going to be a, a big piece of the story and that there was an opportunity to have really unique technology. So we actually started working on the technology concepts while the script was still being finished before they had done any photography, before they had filmed any of the scenes. And we just started, you know, uh, experimenting and prototyping and doing everything from making uh, CG animations of characters, you know, holding stuff in their hand and interacting it in with it in different ways to uh, we actually uh, so the technology in the film Black Panther, we pretty quickly arrived at this concept that there would be vibranium sand. And no, it's not simply made up. There are faculty at the University of Tokyo who are actually studying the phenomenon of vibranium sand. The Wakandans used vibranium to develop technology more advanced than any other nation. But as Wakanda thrived, the world around it descended further into chaos. Uh, so the technology in the film Black Panther, we pretty quickly arrived at this concept that there would be vibranium sand that would levitate in the air, uh, positioned and held in the air, controlled in the air by ultrasonic sound waves, which uh, uh, strangely enough is a real plausible thing. Uh, University of Tokyo is making styrofoam particles uh, hover in space using ultrasonic uh, transducer arrays 
that are used to generate midair haptics. It was actually something that uh, was very much informed from uh, some of our past work on some real world technologies where we were actually exploring this concept of midair haptics for use in a, in a car so that you could sort of reach out and feel like imagine you're using an augmented reality headset or a VR headset and be able to feel controls that aren't actually there uh, and using this thing where you, you can actually fire ultrasonic sound waves to feel sensations on the bottom of your hand or or whatnot. It's very primitive. It's not it's not it's it's pretty rough right now. But once the Wakandans get a hold of it, uh, they'll be able to levitate vibranium sand particles. So, uh, so when we were when we were developing that, we even we we built a uh, a sand table in our office just so that we could play around with and hold sand and just try and make sure that like any interactions or concepts that we were coming up with were staying true to the qualities of sand and what it was like to hold so that like you know when when you're holding your uh you know a, a diagram of a truck in your hand you know rather than hitting a different control to say like open up the truck and let me look inside it would just be like no just brush the sand away and have this natural interaction so on on black panther we did a lot of work like that uh, before the film was was actually shot and that ended up generating a whole bunch of different tests and experiments and materials that were effectively becoming the blueprint for how the Wakandan technology would work. And so that was materials that the producers and the director, Ryan Coogler, brought on set with them and would share with the actors and be like, well, see, here's a mock-up of how this could work. And then and then they all of a sudden were like, oh, okay, we, we thought you were, you know, full of shit when you're saying that we're we're interacting with magical sand. Uh, but once they saw it, they understood how they could, you know, interact with these things, how they could work with them and and whatnot. And so uh for us it was really gratifying to see, you know, then after they go through the production process, we started getting footage back where, uh, in some cases, they're mimicking some of the same exact interactions that we had prototyped months before, and then we're like, okay, cool, this is this is all going to come together um, nicely for the for the final product. And then for us, it also becomes something where, uh, on a film like Black Panther, there were so many of these different scenes and effects uh, that sometimes are integrated with all sorts of other complex visual effects that are in the film. Uh, they're interacting with this this uh, hub this hovering sand but maybe the entire background behind them is entirely cg or maybe one of the characters is entirely cg and so a lot of that work ended up getting distributed um not just from us but to several other major visual effects studios like uh you know industrial light and magic or or these other enormous companies who then are are given some of these prototypes that we had generated again as so, as a sort of like playbook or instruction manual to help define how these things will work in this in this world. Perception could come in at any point in time on a film project, even a few weeks before the movie hits theaters thanks to Marvel's iconic post-credit scenes. We got an emergency call, like within, it had to be weeks before Captain America Civil War came out to design the Spidey signal that uh, Peter Parker projects as the sort of after the credit scene at the end of the film. And we 
designed that in like 48 hours, made a whole slew of different options, made a ton of different concepts and kicked it over to them. And a few weeks later, like I remember we were working on it and like we, we were just coming up with concepts and like tickets were on sale for the movie. Um, and we and we went and saw it in, in theaters, you know, weeks, weeks later um, in in other instances, you know, uh, uh, Black Panther, we started uh, it was about 18 months before the film was released and we weren't working on it nonstop for 18 months, but we were working on it uh, somewhat consistently through that entire time period. And there'd be times where it'd be a smaller team and we'd only be doing a few things here and there. And then there'd be times where it'd be ramping up and we'd be working on multiple different scenes from the film at the same time, as well as the title sequence, as well as the opening prologue sequence and all sorts of different things all, all happening at once. The team at Perception has played some sort of role, large or small, in nearly every Marvel project since the very first opportunity with Iron Man 2. So next time you're waiting for the Marvel post credit scene and watching the credits scroll past in the theater, take a closer look at the names of studios in the visual effects category and you might just see a familiar name show up. Since our interview with John at the end of 2021, I did just that while waiting for the post credit scene after watching Spider-Man No Way Home, with no expectation of seeing their name, and to my surprise, it was there. Seeing the name of someone you've met in the credits of a movie you love is a really cool experience. But imagine what it must be like to see a place you work and your own name show up. Being as as fortunate as we are, and in, in some cases, uh, it's it's we're not as fortunate so much of the work that we do is super top secret and may always be top secret and may never come out uh for for public consumption or at least our involvement in it may never be publicly known um particularly when we're talking on a lot of advanced real world technologies um and so for for that reason we try to the the projects that are sort of public facing we try to do as much as we can to celebrate that and I, I try to encourage everyone on our team to not try to be too too cool for it or or too chill uh we it, we haven't been able to do this during the pandemic which has been disappointing but traditionally we would always um take our entire team to the theater the day that the movie comes out uh usually go see the first show of the day and uh, often when it's these giant Marvel movies, it's a it's a packed house and try whenever possible to, uh, you know, I'll, I'll slip the theater manager 20 bucks to like pause the start of the movie and let me run up to the front of the theater and make a brief announcement. And, um, you know, uh, sometimes after after those films, you know, there will be kids that will run up to everyone on our team and say like, wait, what did, you know, what did you guys do on that movie? That was so cool. Oh, I love Spider-Man, you know, and, and that sort of stuff. And, uh, I, I try, I try to ensure that everybody takes a moment to like, you know, appreciate that stuff and, and soak that up. Cause you, you, there's not many industries in the world where you can be in a room full of people who are applauding at the byproduct of your, your nine to five job, you know? Um, 
and and I think it's it's important to to soak that up and and reflect on it and and appreciate it. And I don't think uh, you know. And we work very very hard on this stuff. I don't think anybody. I don't think any of this gets too much to anyone's head or or anything like that. It takes an enormous amount of focus and discipline and and there's a, just a lot of hard brute force work that goes into working on these films and and both for for us and many other people who work on these films um there's a the the bar for productivity is the the lowest bar is set at like overcommitment and the highest bar is set at like barely able to sustain you know uh, a, a balanced life while contributing to these projects, especially when you're getting close to the to the deadlines and and whatnot, so um, it's it's a it's a wonderful feeling to see it come out into the world and and see uh, audiences appreciating this stuff and and yeah we we uh, we we try not to let any of that be be lost on us. One of the challenges that perception faces when coming up with ideas of future technologies is the audience's willingness to learn and understand how the future technology works. Many times these films using extremely advanced technology require some sort of plot explanation in the story to communicate to the audience a bigger meaning and how it works or was obtained. Here's how perception deals with the challenge of the audience understanding a future technology. So the, I'll, I'll start with understood by the audience first, um, because that's a, that's a tricky thing in and of itself, which is that um, when you're designing this fictional tech in, in movies, when you're designing real tech, it is your responsibility to always be obsessed with your end user. Who is it that's using it? What are their needs? What are the things that will make this product or tool, you know, uh, work easily for them, improve their life in some way, save their time, not generate any aggravation or, or challenges? How do you make it delightful and engaging and all of that? So when you're working in film, we have two end users. We have the character who's in the film, who's using the technology uh, in, in many cases, we're working on films where we're trying to make that character seem like they are the most brilliant hacker in the world and only they could make sense out of this overwhelmingly complex and rich technological system. But then the other end user is the person who's sitting in the last row of the movie theater, wolfing down a burrito while glancing up at the at the screen and trying to make sense of this. And so you you often have to find this way of balancing how can it be rich and detailed and, and nuanced and, and complex and part of this world and still, um, you know, do things like make sure that the important information somehow has a cheat code or a, you know, simplified iconography or these things that help it read really effectively, really clearly, really concisely. Um, you spend a lot of time talking about your visual hierarchy on screen and how you make sure that every single person in the movie theater, their eyes don't wander all around this interface, but that you're controlling that like, this is the one piece. There's a lot of shit going on on screen right now, but if there's one takeaway that you have from this, make sure that it's this. Um, and it's interesting because for us, that, that actually is really powerful 
in real world technology too, in terms of, you know, guiding a, a user's attention. And especially when we're looking at things like augmented reality and looking at spatial or three-dimensional interfaces and how we interact with them, finding ways to cut through all the noise and draw your attention to the most important or relevant thing and, and, and have uh, all of your users focus on a particular piece. Um, very, very important. It never ceases to be a challenge. It's always something that we're we're grappling with in in both film and and real world tech, um, but is is definitely an important piece of it. Um, process. How do we how do we solve these problems? How do we come up with these wild ideas? Um, there's no there's no formula for success here, um, and a lot of it at this point um, we we become a little bit spoiled by having this great sort of track or this loop that we're on where because we're cycling between these two worlds of, of fiction and reality or science fiction and science fact, um, a lot of the time we are uh, revisiting some past experiences that we've had in real world tech when we're working in film and, and vice versa. Um, but the other, the other thing that we always come back to, um, especially when we're working with uh, you know, younger artists on our team or, or less experienced artists on our team is to ensure that our, whatever we're looking at for reference, that we're not just, you know, hunting for inspiration or, or reference from other films or from our other colleagues that are out in the space. I think it's important to keep an eye on what everybody's up to and, and follow that stuff but always trying to find our key points of, of inspiration from completely different mediums or platforms or, or things that will inform uh, how, we are, how we're working with these ideas because otherwise you can get caught in this sort of loop of like, you know, your, your inspiration is the same inspiration as everybody else's, which is now becoming the inspiration for everybody else's same use of the same sources of inspiration. Uh, there was there was even a period in maybe the early 2010s or or so, where there were a handful of platforms that were like the hot go-to places to find your inspiration or whatnot, and you would just start seeing in in all of the work um, these these things popping back up and being like, oh yeah, I've I've seen the reference image that inspired that title sequence or inspired this thing and. And it's um, and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's that's great. But uh, in terms of you know trying to and, and again this this whole space of this idea of like futuristic tech in movies, it is pretty pervasive at this point. It's, there's a many many movies where you you would not be at all surprised to be like, oh did you that that movie had a glowing blue hologram appear in it? Oh which which movie was it? There's a million of them where where that happens nowadays. Um, so, so for us, it's it's always important just to make sure that you're looking outside of the traditional um, spaces where we uh, typically find, or, or the the expected places to find inspiration um, when we're when we're working here. And that can be anything from, you know, spending more time looking at fine art or sculpture or architecture or uh, interesting engineering. Oh man, we did a whole bunch of really fun stuff. Uh, while coming up with concepts early in the process of uh, working on the film Black Widow, we were looking at all sorts of like industrial actuators and just sort of like geeking out on uh, crazy, um, you know, industrial things that 
uh, are are some of the most like dangerous tools for people to work with because uh, they 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 contain so much pressure in these actuators that if they accidentally misfire, they'll kick someone across the room and and things like that. But just yeah, hunting hunting for for all of that stuff is is a is a big part of our process. We've talked a lot about how perception works within the realm of science fiction, and as John mentioned earlier, there isn't many real-life tech projects they are allowed to share, but here are a few projects that have allowed them to apply their science fiction thinking into real-life technologies. Uh, one of the very first calls was Microsoft, amongst several other companies who had reached out to us and said, hey, would you guys be able to figure out a way to apply some of that magic to some of our real-world products? And that that sent us on on this trajectory and you know uh there was there was a little bit of evolution as we shifted from a very traditional motion graphics studio where you know we were balancing oh, okay we do a film we do a tech project we do some stuff for an ad agency we do some stuff for a broadcast network um but for almost a decade now um we've been exclusively focused working either in uh, film, or I should say, entertainment, because it extends now to you know streaming shows and and even gaming, um, but working in in entertainment and then working uh, on real world products that that people will pick up and hold hold in their hands. We also have a number of exciting things happening in the technology space, from um, you know some major uh, uh, technology products that. Uh, many, many, many people in the world uh, interact with as they continue to update and evolve right in their hands um, to a number of really exciting vehicles um, that'll be coming out in the coming years. Next year, the Hummer EV will come out, a really wild, over-the-top, I mean, like a, a vehicle that is like pure personality, a, you know, giant uh, electric truck with futuristic undertones um, and uh, we, we designed the entire digital experience that appears in in the Hummer EV, uh, which I, I think is uh, something that came together really, really nicely. It's sometimes very hard being very innovative within an enormous uh, organization like any of these gigantic car companies, which are uh, just the, the scale of these companies is unbelievably huge and to get any sort of design innovation put in place requires so many people at so many layers and, and so many levels to agree that your you know what sometimes is as subjective as art is is the right thing to use in this place and we were really proud that the team at, at general motors were very uh welcoming and and very ambitious in pushing the concepts as far forward as we could, and appropriately so for this really, I mean, it is an absolutely outrageous vehicle, whether you like giant monster trucks uh, or or not, it is uh, it is definitely, it's 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 something that I, I hope will start appearing in some of the films that we work in, because it feels like it's a very cinematic sort of, uh, sort of vehicle. Uh, and then we've got a, a number of other interesting vehicles that we're currently working on. Um, uh, almost each of which are like 
the most exciting vehicles of their kind. The 2017 Ford GT. Uh, back in 2013, 2014, we were asked by Ford to collaborate with them on designing the instrumentation for the Ford GT. And if you're not familiar with the Ford GT, it is nothing like a, you know, a Ford Explorer or even a Ford Mustang. It is a $450,000 uh, Lamborghini killer. It's, it's actually it's 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 actually designed to destroy Ferraris. Uh, like literally uh, the movie Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, this is a this is a continuation of the spirit of that rivalry and was a an opportunity for Ford to create a vehicle that for them was was just designed to be a statement of like the best thing they could possibly create. I am a huge car geek. My father is actually a racing instructor and I, I love I, I, I the reason that I got into design was because when I grew up, I thought like the coolest thing in the world would be to be a, a car designer, to design Lamborghinis and Ferraris and things of that nature. So to have a chance to collaborate with Ford on a, on a vehicle like that um, was uh, for me an absolute dream come true. And, and something that is, is actually, you know, created a whole other niche as I, as I mentioned before for our business, which is figuring out how this way of thinking about the future of technology can translate into uh, the the way that vehicles will will trans transport us around in the in the future and there's a ton of really exciting and dramatic things happening with uh you know in in the automotive world in general between electrification and you know uh, autonomy being on the horizon and all sorts of other things so it's a it's a space that we're, we're very excited to to be able to to make an impact in Many of us use laptops, mobile phones, tablets, you name it. And while much of this technology in our lives is here to stay in this current moment of time, we asked what John's thoughts were about the future of technology. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting thing because I there's a degree to which many of us in the technology world can sometimes get easily distracted with just what seems like the coolest, neatest, um, most unique, new clever idea or innovation. And in my personal life, I try as hard as I can to maintain or, you know, observe others and try to see the lens of, you know, where does simplicity, um, save the day where does where is technology too complicated where is technology more of a barricade than it needs to be what are the things that are making some of this uh, more effortless and where are there places where maybe there isn't technology you know that there's maybe still room for it to be but also where are there places where there's technology where i don't even i, I just want the technology gone or i want its presence to be out of out of the way completely um, to to hopefully use it to make you know the 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 more human aspects of life um, something that we can can appreciate and enjoy um, even more and I think there's you know there's uh, a world where you can think of like oh yeah you know I wake up in the morning and my autonomous assistant you know is calling out 
the the orders of the day and and all of these things to me and everything's this automated you know uh holographic um wallace and gromit you know rube goldberg machine that that takes care of everything for me but uh i think it i think the reality of it is that there's going to be a much more of a hybrid of you know uh technology working really well to make sure that you don't even know it's there and and supporting your life in in ways to uh, ensure that tech is just as invisible as possible we 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 always talk about this idea that you know we may also be on the verge at some point of a uh, a sort of shunning of technology because we're going to have pretty soon a generation maturing who were raised by parents who were holding the backsides of phones in front of their children uh, for for huge periods of time, and that you know there's there's a good chance that that may just be seen as as something that is just um, so so boring, so uh, un uninteresting, unexciting, and that there's you know uh, reasons to you know for us to keep pursuing ways for technology to you know connect us more with just the the real world around us if there is one thing you take away from this episode it should be this the creative industry is brimming with science and engineering coupled with creativity and design perception is one of these places as they dazzle the world by dividing the parallels of science fiction and science fact through collaboration with film industries, large tech brands, and even the military. All industries require designers in their team, and more and more of the world's leading industries are starting to realize this. To learn more about Perception Studio, visit their website, experienceperception.com. Since our interview with John, he announced that in May of 2022, after 16 years of working with the incredible team at Perception, he is leaving. We are very excited to see what he does next as a creative leader that designs the future through strategy, consulting, creative direction, and so much more. Whether you are a student or a CEO, don't be a stranger and reach out to him on LinkedIn, Twitter, or check out his website, johnnymotion.com. Join us for next week's episode as we meet with Tanya Gupta, a multimedia artist, mixed reality engineer, and entrepreneur. She is currently an Adobe Creative resident. If you'd like to support the show or to learn more about Design Atlas, please visit our website, designatlaspod.com. To get in touch with us, DM us on Instagram or tweet us at designatlaspod or send us an email at hello at designatlaspod.com. You can also join the Design Atlas Slack community to connect with our show guests and get behind the scenes content and the latest design resources. Link is in the show notes. Finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on the next episodes. We would really appreciate if you could give us an honest review about the show. Thanks again for listening to Design Atlas. Thank you.